Well, if you would turn to your Bibles, if you've got your Bibles or on your devices, to 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 9. 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 9. Today I'm going to be speaking on the prayer of Jabez. The prayer of Jabez. You may have heard of this prayer. It's quite a popular prayer in recent times. It was brought to my attention by an excellent book by Bruce Wilkinson called The Prayer of Jabez. We couldn't get any for our bookshop, but if you've got access to Amazon, you can get hold of Bruce Wilkinson's Prayer of Jabez book very easily. I mention that in case you want to follow through on some of the things I speak to, uh, about today because it was a, a great blessing to me as I studied this passage. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 following. Now Jabez was more honourable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. You know, it's interesting to see that this small section on the Jabez prayer is found in the midst of nine chapters of genealogy in First Chronicles. I don't know what your Bible reading plan is like, but I always smile to myself when I get to 1 Chronicles because I sort of figure I can have a few chapters off. Because normally I think, well, the last thing I want to do is read who begat who begat who begat who and who begat who. Nine chapters of it. And um, th this nine chapters takes us from Adam right through the Hebrew tribes to the people that return from Babylon exile. Although I joke about the genealogies and the genealogies also that you have to read in Genesis. What the genealogies say, well, they say many things, but... One of the things they do say is that God cares about families. He cares where you're from, and he cares about what comes from you. In fact, the whole of Genesis could be called the book of families, couldn't it? Because it's all about families, good families, dysfunctional families, all types of stuff. Families. Remember that a society is only as strong as the families within that society. And the families within that society are as only as strong as the marriages uh, that are the bedrock of those. Anyway, nine chapters. Now, nine chapters is interesting because the author who was authoring these nine chapters of genealogy, what made him stop and pause at the name of Jabez? There's many other people, he just put down what they did, where they were from, you know, not, not really explaining. But when he comes to Jabez, it's like the, the author of Coracle stops and goes, Jabez, wow. Now, there was an outstanding man based on an outstanding prayer that God answered. So he paused. So it's important that we should pause because God is obviously telling us something of great importance through the prayer of Jabez. In fact, I rate the prayer of Jabez up there with the Lord's Prayer. You know, with the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, etc., you can pray that as a prayer, or you can take sections of it, your kingdom come, your will be done, or give us this day our daily bread, or uh, forgive us as we forgive others. You can break down the Lord's Prayer into different aspects for whatever need you have. 
Well, Jabez is also a prayer, I think, that we should learn word for word and understand that the Jabez prayer is not just a prayer, but it's a prayer with a pattern of life behind it. And that's what I want to go in today, to look at this prayer of Jabez so we can understand it, it can become part of our prayer life, and we can live according to the pattern of Jabez. Well, the first thing we read is that Jabez was more honourable than his brothers. We'll come back to that at the end. But we hear that his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Don't want to bring back any painful memories, mothers, but do you remember when you gave birth? Well, this woman had such an experience, a bad experience, a painful experience of childbirth that she blamed it on the boy. And she called him pain. I mean, if you're a regular here at Kensington Temple, you will have seen our child dedications that take place here on the platform. And because we have uh, many people from many different nations, sometimes we have some marvellous long names that, that aren't in English, perhaps in African or something. And often what we'll do is we'll say, wow, that's a long name. What does it mean? And the parents will say it means blessing, victory, strength. Arsenal supporter, whatever you want to make it, you know, anything you want to put in it, you put in it. And by the end of the name, you know this, this, this child is going to be blessed just by the name. Well, can you imagine having Jabez's Jay family up? You bring them up and you take the little baby and the mother's there and everyone goes, oh, isn't the baby lovely? And you say, oh, so Jabez, what a wonderful name. What does it mean, mother? And mother goes, pain. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that your mother calls you pain. Every day she calls you to wake up and go to school, pain, and she remembers what took place. When you're at school, all your friends call you pain. I mean, that's going to psychologically disrupt your development, isn't it? To be called pain. To come from an environment of pain. To have a history of, of pain. To be born in pain. To have pain as your name. You know, I've been thinking about people that go through pain. And I've come to this conclusion after studying the scriptures. And it's this, that God has a very special plan for people of pain. That he can't trust to people of ease. I'm going to say that again. I believe that God has a very special plan for people of pain that he can't trust to people of ease. You see, when we start with Jabez, we start with a boy named Pain from a painful history, painful character. Pain was his name. Pain was his experience. Pain was his environment. This story starts in pain, but we will see that it ends in joy. I don't know if we've got any people who might say, do you know what, Bruce, my name is Jabez today, or if you're a female Jay Bezer, I don't know, however you may do it. You say, pain is my name, pain is my environment, or I've been from, through some pain in my life, and uh, I wonder what it's all about and what its purpose was. Jabez never asked to be called pain. He never asked to be a pain in childbirth. It seemed to just come upon him with, 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 with all its stigma. But I want to tell you that if you are a person of pain, maybe you're going through pain right now and you don't understand 
while you're going through pain. Maybe you're going through pain and you've been going through pain so long that the people that you're sharing with it have got bored with it. Have you ever been through a painful experience and people are interested to help you for a while and, and, and lend an ear, but after a while it goes on too long and you keep quiet because, you know, they don't really want to hear about your pain anymore. Well, if that's you, I've got good news for you. That that pain, that pain is going to set you up for gain. Amen. That if you have experienced pain in your life and you're still suffering from it, then the Jabez prayer is not only your prayer, but it is also a pattern for your future. We're going to go into this prayer now and look at four aspects of this prayer. And we see how the prayer develops as a pattern for life, but also, like the Lord's Prayer, a pattern of praying that can be part of your regular devotional life. The first thing we see is that uh, uh, Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. I like the New King James Version because it puts the indeed at the end of it to show this passion that it wants to be blessed. Now, if you look into the Hebrew, and I looked at Dr. Michael Eaton's uh, commentary on Chronicles, it says, where he says, oh, that you would bless me indeed, Michael Eaton says that this is actually in the Hebrew a form of a vow. You know, I don't encourage you to make vows to God, just let you yes be yes. But in the Old Testament, people make a vow. You know, like Hannah made a vow about if she had a son, she'd dedicate it to the Lord. So there's something about this prayer, we don't know what his vow was, it's in the form of a vow, where he was saying something like, oh, if you bless me, I will serve you. Obviously, whatever he was saying he was going to do was, was going to, Lord, if you bless me, I'll take the blessing and I'll use it to glorify you. So when we come to pray the prayer of Jabez, we should understand that the blessings that will come with this prayer are there for us to serve the Lord with. He wasn't just asking to be blessed for blessed sake. But then he says, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. He was asking for God's greatest blessing. He wanted true blessing, not surface blessing. Often we find in popular Western Christianity today a faulty view of what it means to be blessed. People are thinking that, that God's main blessing is all about perhaps material things, cars or, or houses or promotions or increases in salaries or the right boyfriend or the right girlfriend. And These things are not unimportant. Seek first the kingdom of God and these things. We, we can, but these are not what God's primary blessing is. And if you misunderstand what it means to be blessed by God, when he begins to bless you, you won't have a clue what's going on. In fact, when he begins to bless you, you'll think that God is cursing you because you don't understand how the blessing of God works. I say that because in Isaiah chapter 55... And verse 8, we read that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. You see, God says his word's going to go, his word's going to prosper, his word's going to bless, his promise is going to go to the earth, and it won't return to him void. But before he talks about sending the blessing, he explains that his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And when it comes to the blessing of God, you have to understand that, if you're going to pray the prayer of, of Jabez, and say that you would bless me indeed. I used to, I remember meditating on Isaiah 55 a while ago, verse 8. And I sort of said to the Lord, well, Lord, your ways are my ways. And your thoughts are my thoughts. Because I did a theology degree and I've read the Bible. And so your thoughts are in the Bible and your ways and how you act are in the Bible. So I don't quite understand why, how your ways can be as high as the heavens compared to my thoughts on earth. And how, how, how your thoughts can be like at the farthest end of the universe according to the way that I think when it's all there in the Word. Didn't quite understand it. So the Lord allowed things to come into my life that made no sense. When God makes no sense to you, get ready, the blessing's starting to flow. You see, amen. God's ways are not your way, so why do you expect him to bless you in the ways that you think he will bless you? You see, the problem is, is that we have a very limited view of what being blessed is. You, you can only just see the circumstances that are presently around you. You can't see beyond them. You can only see where you've come from and where you are right now. You don't know what's around the corner, do you, in the future? You don't know what God is preparing for those that love him. You don't know. So you have a very blinkered view, a very limited range of sight. So when you say, God bless me, or you're asking for God to, to bless you, then you're usually thinking in an extremely limited sphere of, uh, of vision, correct? But God, when God blesses you, he sees eternity. He, he sees the years ahead of you and what it takes to get you to the place that he wants you to be. He sees the bigger picture. You only see the smaller picture. He sees how something can happen to you that makes no sense, that in some way, in the bigger picture, can make total sense. And so when we say like uh, Jabez, oh, that you would bless me indeed, what we're saying is, God, you have permission to bring your blessing, a blessing that I may not at the time understand how it's working, but I trust that you will bring me to the place where I can see it was the blessing all the time. How many of you been through a place where God made no sense, but then came to a place where you looked back and said, now it makes sense to me? That's how God's, God works. So 
When we talk about what it is to be blessed, like I said, sometimes, especially in Western Christianity, we usually think of material things, things that bring ease to our lives, things that bring comfort to our lives. That's being blessed. Well, I want to read to you the type of person that God says is blessed, found in the Beatitudes at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. But I'm going to read it from the message version, all right? Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Well, what type of person will be blessed? When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who's most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Well, there's a different pattern of being blessed, isn't it? And know this, that God's blessing always works to the pattern of the kingdom of God to increase the kingdom of God and to bring you closer into the principles of the kingdom of God. What is the greatest blessing that God can give a human being on earth today? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings salvation, so that's correct too. The Holy Spirit. The greatest blessing a person can have on the earth today is the Holy Spirit and more of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit brings the kingdom of God's influence into your life and into your experiences. You know, when the Holy Spirit... You see, we're Pentecostals. We think we have an inside information on the Holy Spirit because we call ourselves Pentecostals. But we don't. We think that when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll do what we expect him to do. There'll be signs, there'll be wonders, there'll be miracles, there'll be healings, they'll be speaking in other tongues. There'll be, there'll be the glory. 
These are the things we think when the Holy Spirit comes. And true, those things can come with him. But when the Holy Spirit, when you say, bless me, oh, that you would bless me indeed, the greatest blessing that God can do is increase the influence and the activity of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and in your circumstances. And when that happens, expect your life to be turned upside down. Expect to say, I don't understand what God is doing. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit blows like the wind. You don't know when he's going to come, how he's going to come. His ways are higher than yours. His thoughts are higher than yours. And so when God really intervenes in your life, there's going to be a period where you have no idea what's going on. God is turning you upside down. In fact, he's not. The problem is, is that when the Holy Spirit increases his work in our lives, he finds that our lives are already upside down. But we're so used to being upside down, we think we're right way up. But when the Holy Ghost starts coming into our lives to bless us, the first thing he does is says, you're upside down, you think you're right way up. And he turns you around and you're disorientated. It takes a while before you understand, I was so up. How many of you have thought, Look back at your life. Even as a Christian, you think there was times when I thought good was evil, evil was good. When I thought God was doing it, and it was the devil. I thought it was the devil, it was God. And I, had, and, and, I, and I was told, and then God came, sorted me out, and I can see a little bit straighter. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes. And so when you ask for the blessing of God, expect there to be activity that takes place on the inside and outside that you don't understand, that makes no sense to you, that even causes you to doubt God's goodness, but don't doubt God's goodness. Haven't you just prayed, oh, that you would bless me indeed? And God says, all right, I'm going to come. I'm going to sort things out. It's going to be messy to begin with because you're messy, but I will bring you to a place of blessedness. After that section, we come to the next part of the prayer that says, enlarge my territory. You see, here was Jabez, and he had a certain amount of territory that was handed down to him by his grandfather and his father. He said, God bless me indeed. And then he said, expand my influence, expand my resources. Let my frontiers be crossed into a pioneer uh, scenario where I'm taking land I've never walked on before. Let my impact increase. Let my influence be shred, shed abroad. Let there be increased momentum in my life. See, in this prayer we find that Jabez wasn't content just to stay in his comfort zone. <laughs> when you say, bless me indeed, you think God's going to leave you in your comfort zone when the Holy Spirit comes to rule and to reign and to start working in you and through you and around you? No, God is wanting you to move out of your comfort zone in order to experience more of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is always increasing. God is wanting to increase your experience of kingdom discipleship, increase your experience of Jesus, take you into new levels of, of walking the faith with Jesus. He doesn't want you to stay in your comfort zone. He wants you to take new territory for him. Isn't that right? The kingdom of God, always growing. Might start small, but always expanding. It's like yeast in a bread that expands. 
It's like the mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, but when planted, grows and becomes the largest, largest of all trees. God is speaking to many of us today about this part of the prayer. Enlarge my territory. And he's saying, well then, cross over the frontiers of your own comfort zone. Expand to new people, new horizons. Ask the Lord, what does it mean for me to expand out of comfort into a place where I'm trusting you? Where my faith is growing because I have to rely on God. Reasons we don't pray very often is because we're in our comfort zone. But when you step out and begin to pioneer new areas of discovery with the Lord and his will, then faith and prayer becomes very necessary. Think of the Joshua generation. They were told to take new territory. The Moses generation refused. They refused to believe God for a new territory. The Joshua generation were told to be strong and courageous, meditate on the word, and then every place you put the sole of your foot shall be yours. God is breaking the boundaries of self-imposed comfort on our lives. That's why the Holy Spirit is disturbing some of you. There's some disturbed people in this place today. There's some uncomfortable people in this place today. There's some frustrated people in this place today. There's some confused people in this place today. You say, what's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. A move of God. That's what's happening in your life. Now, after enlarging my territory, new kingdom opportunities, God is speaking to you. Don't stay where you are. The reason you're uncomfortable, the reason you're dissatisfied is because God is moving you outward in some way to enlarge your territory. If you pray, enlarge my territory, don't expect God to sit and to leave you where you are. The third section is that your hand would be with me. You know, if you're asking God to bless you indeed and to send the Holy Spirit who blows like the wind and his thoughts are higher and his ways are higher and there's going to be a period of just trusting God when he makes no sense before you, you get to the place where you look back and it all makes sense. If you're going to expand, if you're going to pray to move into new experiences and a new territory, a new influence, a new impact for Jesus, then you're going to need God's hand to be with you. It's too late in the day to do anything without God. It's too late in the prophetic calendar of God and the end times today to do anything in our own strength and then say, behold the hand of the Lord. It's too late. It's God or it's nothing. It's God or it's nothing. It's his hand or it's nothing. We're not going to pretend that God is working. We're not going to build false fire. We're not going to say it's the Lord and it's the Lord and it's not the Lord. We're tired of false prophets saying this is the Lord, that's the Lord, and it was never the Lord. We know when it's the Lord. We know when it's the Lord. And in this passage, this section, we're praying to be blessed indeed. 
We're asking for an enlargement to be used of God and to expand in whatever areas and responsibilities that means in our own particular walk. But we're saying, God, without you, it's meaningless. God said to Moses when he'd had enough of the children of Israel, he said, all right, you can go and possess the new territory, the promised land, but you know what, Moses? I've had it. I'm not coming. I'll send my best and most powerful angel, and he will be with you, the angel of the Lord. He will be with you, and he'll get you there, but I'm not coming. And Moses said, no. If you're, if you're not going, Lord, I'm not going. Because it's not about the destination. It's about who you travel the destination with, the Lord. I don't want to travel a road without the Lord. Do you? Do you want to travel a destination without the Lord? Do you want to go and say this is the Lord and he's not with you? But when his hand is with you, when his anointing, his empowerment, his enablement, his enablement is with you, then you begin to see God's activity in your life. And you realize that the God who makes no sense, his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, is actually at work and brings you to a place where that that didn't make sense now makes tremendous impact on people around you. Oh, that the hand would have been with you. This is a cry of dependence. You know, if we're talking about enlarging borders, crossing frontiers, and God's hand being with us, Bruce Wilkinson, in his book, The Prayer of Jabez, he says that, when you, when you say, bless me indeed, and he answers. When you say, Lord, step, I want to step over the frontiers of my comfort borders and my zone. And he takes you over there. He says that at that time you need God's hand because God has a habit of placing such people who pray such prayers in situations which go against common sense. In circumstances which contradict your previous life experience, in scenarios that seem to disregard your feelings, training, and need for security, in circumstances that set you up to look like a fool and a loser. God places you in these uncomfortable positions, yet this seems to be God's plan for his most honoured servants, a people that came through pain. For the Christian, dependence is just another word for power. If you just take that phrase home with you today and remember it, it will revolutionize your whole life and outlook. I'll say it again. For the Christian, dependence is just another word for power. The Son does nothing without the Father and without seeing what the father did. The son who could do anything did nothing. His dependence became his power. You don't ascend to power in the kingdom of God. You don't ascend to power. You don't grab power, grasp power, politically, politically maneuver to get yourself in a place of power. This is not the way of the kingdom of God. You do not ascend to power in the kingdom of God. You descend to power in the kingdom of God. Anybody who wants to be greatest in the kingdom of God must be the servant, the least. Descent. If you want to be used in great power in whatever situation and calling God has for you, you're going to have to descend 
in order to able, be able to experience the power that God has for you. He's not given any lofty people any power anymore. They only misuse it and abuse it and become corrupted by it themselves. God is looking for people who are prepared to go the rapid descent that leads to true spiritual power. Jesus himself in Philippians chapter 2 considered it not exploitation to be equal with God. That's what the word means. He was equal with God. He's fully God in heaven. But he didn't exploit his situation for his own good and say, well, I don't have to go and suffer. I'll just stay where I am. But he humbled himself. He descended into the form of a human being. But even then he didn't exploit his power because he could have come to earth in a palace and been the greatest Caesar that ever reigned. He could have come like a super, a Marvel superhero to earth and exploited his power, but he didn't. He came not only as a human being in his descent, but he then descended to become a servant of all. And even then he didn't remain, but he descended further and he became obedient to his father. And the descent led him to a bloody cross where he suffered for the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. And then he descended into hell. His descent was a descent to power because there was a third day. And on the third day, his descent to power had ended and now the Father exalted him to his right hand and the name of Jesus is the greatest, most powerful name of authority under earth, on the earth and in the heavenly realms. He's there ruling and reigning and he's looking for a people that are prepared to descend in order to be empowered that your hand would be with me. And finally, keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. In fact, you can translate that little, little section two ways. You can translate it as I did in the New King James. Keep me from doing evil that I might not cause pain. Okay? Or you can translate it, keep me from evil that it may not cause me pain. And both are valid. So one says, keep me from doing evil that I won't cause pain to others. Another says, keep evil from me that it won't do me harm. And it's ambiguous because I think it was meant to be ambiguous. You see, as, we, as this prayer becomes part of our devotional, and you'll find at times of life that you're praying different aspects of this. Time when the Holy Spirit will be saying, it's time for you to enlarge your territory. Time when the Holy Spirit will say, it's time for you to call on more of my influence, that you would be blessed indeed. Time when you'll be saying, God, I need your anointing, your enabling, I need your help, I can't do it, you need to do it, I need your hand. But there'll be times when you pray, Lord, keep me from doing evil. Keep you from doing evil? Yeah. Because when God starts operating and answering these prayers, and you begin a descent into power, a descent into power, real power, a descent into power. And when things, when boundaries start shifting and you start moving, you're going to find yourself in a dangerous position. How many understand the dangers of being blessed by God? Deuteronomy 8 is a whole chapter where Moses says, you're going into the promised land, now be careful. 
Because it's so blessed in the promised land that you're going to start thinking you're something special. You're going to start thinking your own hand got this. You're going to be so enjoying milk and honey that you forgot what it was like to be thankful for bread and water. You're going to be wearing such beautiful clothing that you forget that for 40 years God kept the same shirt on your back and the same shoes on your feet and they never wore out and you have got used to luxury. Be careful when you enter into the place of advancement, promotion, blessing, financial security, uh, influence, and honor amongst people. Be careful when God leads you. This is why to be blessed indeed is to be prepared, straightened out, sorted out, descent into humility so that when that power comes, brother, you can handle it. When that influence starts to flow, sister, you will use it for the Lord and not for your own exploitation. And so God... When you use me, keep me from pride. Pride comes before a fall. Pride is the greatest sin. Lord, use me. Lord, bless me. Enlarge me. Enlarge my situation. Increase my activities. Increase my uh, influence and impact for the kingdom. But please, don't let me then exploit what you've given to me. The biggest danger in God blessing and exalting you is that you exploit the blessing of God for yourself instead of the benefit of others. Right at the end of the Lord's Prayer, the other prayer I mentioned about today, you know, you've prayed, you know, Father be glorified. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. You've sorted out relationships. Forgiven people. You say, forgive me as I forgive others. You ask for your daily bread. But then you come to a place where you say, lead us not into temptation. Why? Because if God brings his kingdom like he asked, if God's will is done on the earth like he asked, if you are wanting nothing because you've got daily bread like you asked, if you're dealing right with other people and sorted out, you are now in a very powerful position in the Lord's Prayer and now you better pray that you don't ruin it all by exploiting it and God Lead me not into temptation. But also this says, and this is where I finish, it doesn't just say be careful that when you're given. And so some people here, God has blessed you with great things, a great job, a great talent, a great ability. God has already enlarged some of your territories here today. God's hand is already on some of you here today. It's not, this, is not, this is not the beginning of the prayer. God has been working the principles in many of our lives and you need to take note of what God has done. If your territory has been enlarged, stop exploiting it for yourself and know that you're a vessel to be used to bless those that cannot help themselves. So Lord, don't, don't let us do evil to the harm of others, but also don't let evil come to us. The devil's not interested in Christians in their comfort zone. The devil's happy if we stay on, on the side of the line that he's appointed for us. The devil loves Christians in comfort. He can't stand uncomfortable Christians. They're a danger to him. He likes to put them to sleep with more comfort. He likes to send his false prophets that talk about comfort and the broad highway instead of the narrow way where you have to die, but it leads to life and blessing. There's a false gospel in this 
world today. And it's all about your comfort, the broad way. Anybody can travel on it. But God has a narrow way for you. Led by the Holy Spirit, he will turn your life upside down. He will make no sense. But then he will bring you to a place of power. I feel it so strong in this place today. And then the devil's going to come. And he's going to say, this person has stepped onto the narrow path. He's not bothered about the broad path. He's stepped on the narrow path. She's praying the prayer of Jabez again. And she's believing it's a pattern for her life. And now she's disturbing the status quo in the spirit realm. And, and I've got to do something about that. Well, you can't do something about that devil. Because the prayer says, keep me from evil. God will put a shield around us, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes of the gospel, sword of the spirit to strike down all the enemies of plans. God never intended you to fail, but to succeed. You may seem to fail, but even failure for the child of God is only the next stepping stone to victory. Rejoice in your suffering. Let the furnace, fire, produce the testing of golden faith. The fire burns, the impurities rise, and you feel like the worst Christian in the world. But don't worry, my brother, my sister. The fire burns, the impurity rises, and the Holy Ghost takes them away. Because you're too precious. You're too precious. To stay impure. And you've asked the Holy Ghost to come. You said, give me a move of God. And God is moving. Hallelujah.